The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. Corporate sponsors may from time to time be the subject of buy and or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks newsletter. However, as host of Turning Hard Times into Good Times, Jay Taylor retains the right to provide objective opinions on behalf of subscribers and to his listeners audience regardless of sponsorship. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network show and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. You load 16 tons, what do you get? Another day older and St. Peter, don't you call me cause I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Hello, I am your host, Jay Taylor. Uh, to learn more about me and my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks, go to miningstocks.com. That's M-I-N-I-N-G-S-T-O-C-K-S.com. So far this year, we are having a good year. Our model portfolio is up over 30%. That compares to a S&P 500 that's basically break-even. Uh, our uranium stocks are really the big surprise. They're up over 109%. They've really accelerated to the upside over the last couple of weeks with uranium, uh, the U308 metal going up in value very significantly for the first time in many months. Our gold exploration stocks are up 53%, and our gold producers are up 25% so far this year on average. Our low-budget, low-maintenance model portfolio, which is geared to those folks who don't really want to be bothered picking individual stocks, is up about 19% this year so far. And we are offering a $19 special one-month trial offer just to give you a chance to try our letter, you'll get four weekly issues as well as a monthly issue. You can call my assistant, Claudio Bossi, at 718-457-1426. That's 718-457-1426. Well, this week's special guest is a very, very good friend of mine, Ian Gordon, who has specialized and studied in great detail the Kondratiev cycle. It's a long cycle of credit expansion, credit contraction, and it's typified uh, the end of this cycle by what Ian calls the Kondratiev winter. Now, this is a period of time in which the credit system deflates, in which it contracts. Certainly, we are seeing that happen now in, to a very, very great extent, more than many of us had ever dreamed. Well, not Ian. Ian had seen this coming for many years in the past as he had been a student of the Kondratiev cycle, and Ian thinks that we are facing something akin to and very possibly much worse than the 1930s. So Ian will provide evidence for his thesis when we talk to him in a few minutes. 
He'll tell you also how to best protect yourself in this harsh economic environment that we, uh, that he sees coming and that I indeed agree with to a very great extent. So we think you can't afford to miss Ian, and we'll hope that you'll stick around to hear what he has to say. Before we get to Ian, however, I'm going to talk to my two partners, regulars of this show, Chen Lin and Roger Wagan. Uh, Chen Lin uh, is going to talk to us from New Jersey. Uh, uh, hello, Chen. Hi, Jade. How are you? Well, I'm I'm terrific. Uh, in spite of the rain, it's really a wet spring so far here in New York and New Jersey as well. We spoke uh, a little earlier today. The gold market was up a lot early in the day. It's come back quite a bit. Um, but uh, what do you you had a gold stock that you wanted to mention to our listeners this week that you think is really really undervalued? Would you care to mention that and just tell us why you like it? Yeah, sure. Uh, the gold stock is Oceana Gold. It operates three gold mines in New Zealand. So New Zealand is a political secure place, very you know, unlike Venezuela and other places. And they produce over 300,000 ounces of gold per year. And their market cap is amazing. It's a little bit, just a little bit over 100 million U.S. dollars. They'll be producing how much, Chen? You say 300,000? 300, 300,000, over 300,000. At what cost? The cost in the first quarter is $279. Oh, and it's very... going lower according to the company, because they're going to strip less. And so basically, they, they have a, they'll be $30 lower next mm-hmm. year and mm-hmm. probably $40 lower the year after. Mm-hmm. Does that have to do something with the stripping ratio coming down, or what are, what are the causes for the reduced uh, price cost? Yeah, basically for the uh, waste stripping. So basically, uh-huh. they need to strip a lot of rock to get to the ore, but since they're already stripping this year, they'll strip There'll be less stripping, and so less less mining, less mining of non-gold bearing rock in the future will bring down the cost. Exactly, they're sixty dollar uh, this year, so they they see you know thirty dollar, <laughs> maybe even you know twenty dollar range the year after. So, Chen, what is the symbol for this stock? It's Oceana. It's O G C uh, at Toronto Exchange. Okay. Uh, so you really like this one, huh? And it's, you feel it's very undervalued. What, what do you think, uh, what sort of price target do you have if you have one in mind? Well, you know, those kind of uh, a gold company, they generate trading either from, you know, $500 million to a billion dollar market cap. And this has only $100 million market cap. Mm-hmm. So, so you could see a five-fold increase potentially here with this stock? Potential, no, yeah. no promises ever, of course, but is that what you think is possible? Yeah, very possible. Well, the, the reason was that, uh, that this company starting up three months uh, last year, and then it's more than they could handle. So mm-hmm. they started two months, and a third month they, they couldn't. They couldn't because of the credit crisis. Mm-hmm. So they put it in care maintenance. But mm-hmm. since they started the new month, the cost was pretty high, mm-hmm. and New Zealand dollar at that time was also high energy cost. Was high. Mm-hmm. So their cost was like $500 gold, and then they happened because the in financing the mine, they hedge one-third of their gold mm-hmm. in New Zealand dollar. As New Zealand dollar crash, the hedging down to $400. Oh. So people were thinking, wow, your cost is $500, and then your hedge is $400, you're going under. So this is a, one of the classical cases that people think, oh, you're going under. So just keep selling, selling, and tax law selling. Plus the mutual fund owns Oceana, closed their door. They sold all their shares. Uh-huh. So it's like everything was happening just in a very short period. The, the dollar, the stock died from like three, four dollars all the way to twenty, thirty cents. Well, I would think, Chen, if indeed your analysis is correct, 
and this company does earn the kind of earnings that you think they can, then I think the market's going to pick up on it. We should see the shares run quite a bit higher. I've got about a minute left here. Uh, if that, for you, could you just give us a quick view on North American Galvanizing Coating, a company you talked about last week. Do you still like it? Oh, yeah, I like it. I'm holding it. Uh, you know, the earnings going to be good. You know, I'm going to hold for a couple of quarters and see how, you know, how fast they can grow their own earnings. Okay, excellent, Chen. We're going to have to go. I've got to get on to Roger here before we uh, have to take a break. So we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Roger, Sir. from Michigan. Roger, are you there? I am here. Roger, we talked a little earlier today. Your feeling is that we're starting to see an inflation picking up again, that the system is reflating both the equity markets, notwithstanding today's down day, uh, and the commodity markets. Do you think this is something that has legs on it? Is it durable, or is it just something, a bear market rally here? No, I don't think it's a bear market rally because there's too many indicators coming together to show us that uh, we've got a, a sustainable rally here with legs. The CRB index, which is composed 50% of crude oil, uh, today, uh, yesterday close rather, was 232 38 $232. Uh, the primary base was 225 and there was a beautiful head and shoulders on it. The momentum is coming out of the bottom, and it's turned right around. It's going straight up. Uh, a lot of this is oil-driven because half of the index is oil, uh, but oil is now trading sideways at about $54.40 uh, in a channel, but it's holding at a nice position to move on to the next step higher. Okay, but are you saying then that the, that the bear market is over, the secular bear market that started last year is over? I think that's correct. Uh, we could have more ups and downs as we go forward through the, through the uh, commodities rally, which can, t can continue for many years. Uh, it started roughly in 2001. We've now come through eight years of this. Uh, normally, the commodities rallies historically go 13 years to 17 years on average. So you're in disagreement with we've got a long so way to go. So Roger, you're in disagreement then with Dr. McHugh's view that the uh, that the that the uh, super cycle C wave there is none to be had in the future. No, the C wave I agree with, but we're having a diversion for the time being in the commodities and the stocks. Well, I understand I, I that, but the C wave. I mean, this C wave, which he calls the cataclysmic nation-changing event, uh, do we forget about that now? No, we don't forget about it. Uh, the, what we have to keep in mind is is that certain items within the CRB are going to continue to rally. They're going to have sell-offs periodically, of course. But uh, the gold and silver, precious metals, grain, uh, crude oil are in a, in a volume push right now. Uh, iron ore and some of the other base metals have been soft. But even those are basing out right now. They're not dropping anymore. And this is primarily because of some new fresh buying from China. Okay, how long is this going to run, this, this leg up here? Well, uh, we, in looking at the, uh, at the annual chart, uh, from 06 all the way through the end, the middle of, um, I'm sorry, 04 through 06, we had a steady pattern up. Uh, in the middle of 06 late, it fell down, then we had a pop-up rally, then we had this magnificent sell-off. Usually when they get cut, so far down like this one has been, you'll see a 50% retracement. And on the basis of that 50% retracement, we think the CRB will go to 350 this year. 
Okay, Roger, that's about all the time we've got now for this week. Uh, WeBeatTheStreet.com, folks. Go to WeBeatTheStreet.com to learn more about Roger's excellent work. You can call my assistant, Claudio Bossi, at 718-457-1426. That's 718-457-1426 to sign up for Roger's newsletter and to learn more about his work. Thanks, Roger, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you. All right, folks, don't go away. We're coming up, we're coming up on, on our commercial break now, but uh, over the break we're going to have my very good friend Ian Gordon with us. Ian has been a mentor to me over the past decade. He's predicting a Kondratiev winter, a contraction, a credit contraction that is as bad or that will be or is already turning out to be as bad or worse than what we uh, faced in the 1930s. Uh, and so he has some very important information you're not going to want to miss hearing what Ian has to say. We'll be right back with Ian Gordon. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the problem so that effective remedies can be prescribed. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to nearly double the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has lost nearly half its value in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. Business Owners Speak fills a long-neglected niche in the national media coverage of American business. The myriad of challenges and opportunities facing small business owners and entrepreneurs are addressed at ground level in a positive, business-like manner. We face the realities of meeting payroll and being completely dependent upon the success of a business for which we alone are responsible. So loosen your tie, business owner, bring along your own experiences, and log on Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Network. Money. We love it, we hate it, and everything in between. You can be the master of your life and your own economics. Join Professor Laurie Lamantia each week for the program Making Peace with Money. Laurie will help you realize the power to create fulfillment in your life and shed new light on your money madness. You'll learn how to make peace with money and feel the joy and freedom renewed in your life. Making Peace with Money is broadcast live every Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. When you load 16 tons, what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. St. Peter, don't you call me because I can't go. 
I owe my soul to the company store. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to jtaylor at miningstocks.com. That's the website for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. Now back to our program. Hello, I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm pleased to have this week a very special guest, Ian Gordon. He's been a very successful stockbroker based in Vancouver and money manager, I might add. Ian specializes in junior gold stocks. He raises capital, helps companies uh, find their capital to put in the ground to build wealth. Very successful over the years in doing that. He's been a very good friend and mentor of mine over the past 10 or 11 years already, I think, since I first learned to know Ian. He is one of my best friends in this business, and he's certainly one of the most honest and honorable people I know in any in any track of life. Uh, Ian, welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Well, thank you, Jay. How are things in beautiful Vancouver today? A lot of rain, I suppose? Of course, Jay. Yeah, it's <laughs> raining today. But you know, Vancouver is beautiful even when it rains. So, Ian, we only have about a half an hour, so I'd like to get right into the meat of what you've been talking about over the years, many years, and you've been, you've been spot on in your uh, predictions of what's happening. Uh, the Kondratiev cycle, which you've done a lot of work with, you've uh, tracked, uh, have gotten data that goes back all the way to the, to the Revolutionary War, actually. Um, you talk about the seasons of this cycle, the spring, summer, autumn, and winter. I would like you to just explain to our listeners what each season of the year is and what characteristics investment-wise, uh, and if you want to go into some other you know, cultural things, that would be fine too, but, but especially uh, what is the best thing to invest in in each of these seasons of the Kondratiev cycle? Um, well, uh, we're in the fourth cycle right now Mm -hmm. and this fourth cycle started in 1949 Mm -hmm. the original cycle started in 1789 uh, really with the dawn of the industrial revolution so we're in the fourth cycle starting in 1949 and that start is appropriate enough spring and spring is the rebirth or the birth of the economy um, and after the horrendous winter uh, de- deflationary depression stage in the cycle from 29 all the way through to 49. So the kinds of things you want to invest in when your economy is starting to sort of grow and uh, prosper and people are starting to grow and prosper alongside that are stocks and real estate, and uh, they do exceptionally well. Uh, the spring ended in 1966 with the the big bull market top that took stocks up to just under a thousand in June 1966 and then we went into a, a bear that basically ushered in the summer now the summer uh, of the cycle and each of these seasons is approximately about 15 years in length and the summer of the cycle has always been an inflation period of the cycle because there's always been a war in that time and it's always been financed by the massive printing of money. And so you want to invest in the summer in inflationary uh, kind of um, mediums such as uh, gold, silver, uh, all commodities, art, 
and again real estate and and so on so they do exceptionally well so our summer in this cycle ended between 1980 and 1982 and there are four events that sort of herald the end and the beginning of autumn and they always occur at that time at the end of summer and those are a peak in interest rates a peak in prices uh, a bear market in stocks and a recession and people will remember people are now making comparisons today to what happened between 1981 and 82 the big and very uh, deep recession and so those four events herald the, onsor- uh, the onset of autumn and autumn is always the best time to be invested in stocks, bonds and real estate uh, interest rates start to come down quite dramatically from that peak at the end of summer, and uh, money starts to flow into these speculative mediums. And uh, so, uh, you know, stocks do exceptionally well. It's the best time of the entire cycle for stocks and bonds and real estate. And that same uh, period occurred uh, between 1921 and 29 into the autumn. Uh, the end of autumn is uh, signaled by the peak in the big bull market in stocks, and uh, I've, I've said that the end of autumn occurred in 2000 with a peak at the Dow of 11,750. Yes, people will argue that the Dow went subsequently in 2007 to 14,200, but uh, that was a Greenspan-inspired uh, period that uh, uh, massive amounts of money were created and pushed into the banks and interest rates were brought down but from 6 to 1%. Um, and so when winter comes, you have to get very, very defensive because, as I had sort of foretold, uh, the debt bubble crashes and uh, it puts a massive pressure on the banking system and you get a huge banking collapse. So between 29 and 33, for instance, there were 10,000 U.S. banks that failed. And uh, this time there are banks that should be should have failed, but they're not being allowed to because the Federal Reserve is making sure that they don't fail by pushing money into them. But they will ultimately, I think, go under. Uh, and that being said, people get very, very scared, and they start to... Uh, move their money into cash, and they hoard cash, and they hoard gold because they see gold as the money of last resort. And uh, we're in the winter now because the stock market has peaked, whether people say 2000 or 2007. We're now in the deflationary depression stage of the cycle. Well, certainly we're seeing this phenomenon of uh, people hoarding cash, are we not? The velocity of money seems to be decreasing. And another thing that seems uh, a parallel with the 1930s, at least from what I read, is that banks were flush with cash. Uh, they were hoarding cash. They were not lending it out. Are we seeing that again this time, at this point in time? Well, I don't think the banks are flush with cash, but they're certainly not lending it out. I mean, really all the lending has gone on. The, the, the massive increase in debt really uh, in, in the cycle starts uh, – in the uh, at the beginning of autumn, so in 1982 you see this slow but uh, uh, growing uh, debt coming into the system, mm-hmm. and so that when that debt reaches a, an unsustainable level, as it, it did in 2000 and more so in 2007 when Greenspan effectively increased the 
entire debt in the U.S. by almost another 50% between 2000 and 2007. When that debt gets to that unsustainable level, it it basically stops and uh, it it starts to retrace. So the debt bubble crashes and and you have a tremendous problem. So the banks don't have the wherewithal to lend and the borrowers don't have the wherewithal to borrow. The borrowers are insolvent. They cannot be lent to. The banks won't lend even if they have the cash. Is that it? Because, right. they, you know, the banks, I mean, here we have Barney Frank in the, in the House of Representatives trying to, uh, proposing legislation to force banks to lend to people that can't pay them back. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, we're already seeing they can't pay them back because that's what, happening in the in the housing market you know people are being foreclosed on because they can't pay the mortgages that they owe and in fact banks are pulling back credit cards too i understand from meredith whitney talks about the huge amount of uh, credit lines that are not being you know credit card lines that are not being that are not being renewed to the borrowers right and you know and they're raising interest rates so that the uh, on the credit cards so that the the solvent borrowers will basically pay off their cards and cancel them, and the and the weaker borrowers will basically be forced, you know, into bankruptcy. Okay, so we're in the Kondratiev winter now. We're in this contraction phase of this long cycle, this long wave of 60, 70 years. I guess it started in 19, uh, 1949, this cycle. So right. we're in this cycle. How long does this winter go? Well, I, I've just arbitrarily hold a number of 2020 mm-hmm. as being the period when it, it really comes to an end. But it, the last winter really ended with the outbreak of the Second World War. Mm-hmm. So, you know, up to that point in time, you, uh, the U.S. still had massive unemployment rates that were never overcome until, the, you know, until the war was uh, declared. Well, Ian, recently we're seeing a rise in stocks. I mean, today the market is down a bit, but uh, we've seen a nice pop-up in the equity markets. The commodities are coming back. Roger Wiegand was on with us a few minutes ago in the first segment of this show. Roger is suggesting that we're back into an inflation mode, that that things are going to be uh, rising again. Uh, Certainly you, you see that has been happening. How far will this go? Well, Again, I think that the what we're seeing now actually this, it's very interesting. I did a I, I did a chart of the 1929 crash, and that crash took 13 weeks. It peaked on September the 3rd, 29, mm-hmm. and dropped into November the 15th, 1929, and lost 48% of its value. If you superimpose a chart uh, from 2007 and uh, that was a daily action chart, and if you superimpose a weekly chart on that, uh, the crash of two th- started in October 2007 and went into initially into November 2008. That was 13 months. So if you put a weekly chart on top of that daily chart, 29 daily chart, you will see that they were almost identical in terms of what happened. So and then following the 29 crash, you had a rally in stocks that took the market back 50% of the losses and sucked everybody out, mm. everybody back into the market, the Rothschilds and so on, um, were all buying uh, stocks, thinking, you know, that uh, things were all rosy again. And I think we're in that period again where we're going to get a retracement in the stock values, of, you know, maybe of 50% of the losses. So we're going to see maybe Dow back to, uh, to 10,000 or so. But after that, it becomes very, very dangerous. 
I mean, the only reason that you would ever bet on commodities is if you're betting on the on the economy, um, because uh, if you think that the economy is going to prosper, then the value of commodities are going to rise because people are going to be using them. But I, I'm a deflationist. I don't think that's going to happen. I think the economy is going into into dire times. Uh, between 1929 and 33, the U.S. economy lost 45% of its value. Um, sorry, the U- yeah, the U.S. economy dropped by 45%. Mm-hmm. And I think we're going to see similar kind of things this time and wow. probably worse. Wow. Well, we're seeing some, you know, 6% contraction at an annual rate now in our GDP. Uh, Bob Hoy has been predicting, a, you know, this credit contraction for some time. He's also suggested that the dollar would be strong as the senior currency. He's gone back and looked at history and has always recognized that when the British pound sterling was the, was the uh, world's reserve currency, that was true, and now with the U.S. dollar. So far he's been pretty right, I think, but what are your views on the dollar? Well, um, I, I actually don't share uh, those views in the longer term because, of course, um, again, going back to uh, the winter of the last cycle, the British pound actually failed mm-hmm. uh, and went off the uh, world monetary system, which was then attached to gold, in September 1931. So I've always uh, essentially argued that the U.S. dollar will, resu- will lose its reserve status uh, this time, much as the pound lost its uh, reserve status in 1931 when it left the gold standard. So I do see ultimately a collapse in, in the dollar, and of course that would be extremely bullish for gold. But who takes its place? Well, that's the problem. That, you know, this is the first time in history that all, all the monies have been t- basically tied to paper. Uh, before this, there were countries that uh, tied their money to paper and they collapsed. You know, ultimately collapse. So I think that uh, we are going to see maybe a shift back to uh, a disciplined approach to money, and I think ultimately we will probably go back to some sort of gold standard. Turning to interest rates, uh, the Federal Reserve has admitted now that they are going to be monetizing, that they in fact are monetizing debt. I mean, we have trillions of dollars that are going to need to be refinanced or need to be financed. I think Goldman Sachs has talked about three and a quarter trillion or two and a quarter trillion, some big number anyway, that the U.S. is going to have to finance this year with quantitative easing, in theory at least, and some of my inflationist friends are suggesting that interest rates on the long end of the yield curve could be held down forever because the Fed just keeps buying the debt. I mean, in theory, I suppose they're right, but then the Fed would end up owning all the paper, would they not? Or what do you think, uh, what is your prediction on interest rates? long-term rates? Well, I think, you know, ultimately, I mean, all interest rates are the the cost of money. And uh, I think that uh, given, you know, the massive accumulation of debt, particularly at at the federal government level in the United States, I think interest rates have to rise because there's simply too much debt being created and there's not enough capital to basically... Uh, look after that. So I think uh, much as we saw between 1930, uh, 31 and, and into 1932, uh, to try to save the dollar at that stage, that uh, interest rates actually rose, even though the U.S. debt was very, very minimal at that time. Now, of course, the U.S. is the world's largest debtor nation and faces much 
more severe restraints in terms of its ability to create more debt. But the Fed, in theory at least, could continue to buy the Treasury, keep the rates down. I mean, then you would think the only people that would own U.S. debt might be the Fed, might be the Federal Reserve Bank, but then nobody would want the dollar. There'd be no demand for the dollar. People would be going elsewhere. I mean, there are people that are suggesting now that the Chinese have started to get out of the dollar. They've been hoarding copper. They've been hoarding iron ore. They've been buying gold. They've made no secret about that. Um, do, you, do you think that's one possible evolution where the dollar might be, you know, the only people owning the thing yet is, uh, you know, of course, American citizens, which have to own it, and the Federal Reserve owning all the debt, so that the rest of the world would say, we don't want the dollar anymore. We're going to do something else. We're going to find commodities to back our currencies. Is that one possible evolution? I, I don't think the, the Federal Reserve really has the wherewithal to own all the debt. I know it can print uh, at will. Um, but it just doesn't, you know, it would be the, the doom, of, you know, the dollar would be basically uh, finished if that if that was the uh, point that the Fed would take. So I don't think it has wherewithal to buy up all the U.S. debt. Don't forget the U.S. debt today is about, uh, you know, it's $11 trillion. Yeah. That's I'm a lot of, lot of printing that you've got to do to... To, to buy up $11 trillion, and then, you know, what's your dollar going to be worth? It's going to be worth nothing. So, um, uh, yeah, so what you're saying, I think, is that, that you don't think that the policymakers would do this because it would be the death of the dollar, and that's the last thing they want. Well, you know, they, I don't know. It seems to me that their actions are so uh, poor right now that maybe they don't care or they don't, to understand what they're, mm-hmm. they're doing. I'm sure they do understand, but don't forget everybody, you know, everybody understands what's going on. I mean, the Chinese uh, are not stupid, you know, that they are, they can see what's going on, so everybody knows what the U.S. is trying to do to try and get out of the system. They're trying to basically uh, get out of the uh, of the debt problem, and that their solution is to create more debt, and I you know that is not a solution. It doesn't sound like a logical solution, does it? But that's uh, that's what Keynesian economics, monetarist economics, have been teaching our PhD economists, and they also, sort of, in a gullible way, seem to believe it. Got to move on to the price of gold here, and I, I think you know one of the. It's not a good question, really, but I'm going to ask it anyway. The price of gold, where it's heading, and the reason I don't think it's a good question is because, more importantly, to me, is what will an ounce of gold buy? That we need to look at, think in terms of gold as the currency. But, of course, we have to spend U.S. dollars or whatever you're, you're spending, Canadian dollars up there. So we do have to look at the price of gold in terms of our own currency. Where do you think it's going relative to the U.S. dollar? Well, um, I think, uh, you know, and again, this is a this is a target that just has sort of come from the top of my head. It's, you know, I think gold is, and I, I just simply base it on what I see as a inordinate demand for, for gold, Versus a very finite supply, so I, I sort of uh, feel that gold is going to ultimately be around four thousand dollars an ounce. Wow. Well, we're looking at uh, the last over the last hundred years, three, four, or five times we've seen a gold to Dow ratio approach one to one. That would suggest, then, if history holds true, that we might see a one to one, a four thousand Dow and a four thousand dollar gold price. Well. The reason, no, I don't subscribe to that number either. Uh, remember, the in 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 1932, when you you had a two to one relationship, when the Dow dropped to 41 points, 
and gold was at $20.67. The gold price was fixed, uh, so you had a two-to-one relationship. Then in 1980, you had a one-to-one relationship when uh, gold and the Dow were about eight, $8.50 each. Right, when the gold was no longer fixed. Yeah, when gold was no longer fixed. And then at the peak, and that always occurs at the end of, of the big bull market in autumn, it took 44 ounces of gold to buy the Dow Jones. So now the gold price is not fixed, and we're going into this massive deflationary depression, horrendous deflationary depression, banking failures worldwide, countries failing worldwide, and, um, you know, I think the demand for gold is going to be uh, uh, huge, and the supply is very limited. We've only actually mined 2,500 tons of gold a year, uh, so, and then I th- think through scrap, we probably produce almost another thousand tons through scrap and, and maybe some, um, central bank selling and so on. So, um, I think with that big, big demand coming to go because of the, the, uh, bankruptcy crisis, not only in banks, but in countries as well, um, we're going to see, uh, again, a huge, uh, Dropping in the in the equity markets uh, unparalleled, I think, because uh, they were much bigger at the big bull market than they were, say, in 29 or 1873, uh, which was the second cycle top. And uh, so I think that the Dow, my target for the Dow, and uh, is uh, probably a thousand. So I say it'll take about a quarter of an ounce to buy the Dow Jones. Wow. You mentioned this horrendous, uh, really, really great deflation. Uh, so you're thinking is the deflation of this cycle could be worse than the 30s? Well, yeah, I do, because the debt was much, big, much, much bigger this time. And also, in the 30s, it was mainly an American kind of affair, because the, uh, Europe particularly had been beaten up by the First World War. They became massive debt countries after the war, you know, the the Americans became the massive creditors or the big creditors. They financed the war, and uh, Europeans really never came out in a big swirl in the 20s. In fact, in Britain, you had a general strike in 1926. Uh, It never really, Europeans were never part of the the big, uh, big sort of increase in debt and the big speculative bubble that occurred in the United States. So, uh, this time, the whole world's been party to it, whether it's Iceland, Ireland, you know, the Ukraine, wherever it is, it's everybody's been uh, gaming on this one. So it's going to be, I think, far for uh, the losses are going to be far more horrendous. Okay, Ian, we've only got about three minutes left here, but I've got to ask you this. You know, during the 1930s, homestake mining was a portfolio savior. You and I have talked about this in the past, right? Did some number crunching. 15% allocated to homestake and 85 to the Dow would have allowed you almost to, almost the entire 1930s to avoid any losses. Bob Hoy talks about the tremendous advantages of gold mining during a deflationary, uh, event like we're seeing now. Do you share that view? And if so, um, do you believe gold mining is, is one of the best places to put your money at this point in time? Well, we know, Jay, that in the 30s that that was the place to put your money. There were, there were 9,000 operating gold mines in 1940 in the United States, according to the uh, U.S. Bureau of Mines. So 9,000 operating mines. 
there were huge discoveries being made uh, in uh, Canada all along the Abitibi Greenstone Belt. A lot of these are, are sort of renewed discoveries that were made, which were, you know, discoveries that are being found again that were already made in the 30s. Absolutely but, right. A lot of the companies on my list are, are renewed and companies that you brought to my attention are, are prospering and doing extremely well in the old Abitibi Greenstone yeah, so we know that this is a, you know, the eventually all that capital goes to is gold because it's so scared of everything else. So it just what remains of the of the capital in the world flees to gold. Mm-hmm. And this is very interesting and 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 clearly I'm seeing it happen right now with a lot of the companies I cover Ian is that the cost of production is falling. Energy oh. prices are falling, labor is more available. You know, the materials costs are going down. Is this something you're seeing as well? Well, right, because I'm a deflationist, so that all the cost of fuel, you know, which is a big cost in gold mining, fuel, steel, all these things are going to come down. We're seeing a bounce right now because we're being told that we're seeing green shoots, but we don't have green shoots in winter. So, uh, you know, but the politicians and so on. You know, um, you have to understand a cycle is a natural phenomenon, and that's really what I'm working from. And, and man doesn't have the wherewithal to beat natural phenomenons. Ian, uh, where, what would convince you that, you would, that you're wrong on this deflation scenario? Is there anything in the world that would convince you that you're wrong? Could you say, what would it take to... It, it, you know, if, if we saw the Dow break to new highs, stocks break to new highs, I would... Absolutely, have to admit that I, I was wrong. The two thousand, uh, the two thousand fourteen thousand two hundred on the Dow. Yeah, uh, you know. Aside from gold, I guess uh, keep out of debt and cash. Is that those are the other things that you would advise? You, you your, definitely, uh, debt is horrendous in a deflationary kind of uh, era. You know, because actually the cost of cost of it is uh, multiplies quite dramatically. Ian, uh, I, we've got to go now, but I want our listeners to know where they can get more information. Can you tell them your website? My uh, my site is uh, the long uh, i uh, thelongwavegroup dot com. Thelongwavegroup dot com. Folks, you really need to go there because you have well, a tremendous amount the of information. Longwavegroup dot com. The longwavegroup dot com. No, not the longwavegroup dot com. Not thelongwavegroup.com. Just longwavegroup.com. Okay, I want to get that right because there's an awful lot of great information there, lots of charts and a lot of information in addition to what we had time for Ian to explain today. Visual aids that will help you understand what's going on and help you prepare for the very difficult times ahead. That's all we've got time. Thank you so much for being with us today, Ian. Thank you. Coming up next is our uh, our guest from Athens, Greece, uh, Lena Monosaridis, will be with us to give us the European perspective. Don't go away. the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. One 
to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the problem so that effective remedies can be prescribed. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to nearly double the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has lost nearly half its value in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. Are you ready to grow your business? Listen for the Independent Business Owner Show with your coach, Rick Carrado. This entertaining talk radio program will bring you the tools to help increase your business. You'll learn sales success, time management, lead generation, business development, life balance, and much more. Rick Carrado is here to help you take your business to the next level. Listen for the Independent Business Owner Show, heard live every Monday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Network. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. When you load 16 tons, what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. St. Peter, don't you call me cause I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to jtaylor at miningstocks.com. That's the website for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. Now back to our program. Welcome back. I am Jay Taylor, your host for Turning Hard Times into Good Times. And we're, uh, my, I just might mention that my website, miningstocks.com and webeatthestreet.com, miningstocks.com and webeatthestreet.com are two places you can go to learn more about me as well as Roger Wiegand and uh, Chen Lin, also a partner of mine. Well, it's time now to turn our attention to the Europeans, uh, the European Connection, and that's Lena Mona Saritas. She's a technical analyst and money manager. Her website, very, very good one, is spikecharts.com, spikecharts.com, and she does have a daily blog that is well worth reading. Lena, hello. Hello, Jay. Great to be back. Thank you so much for being on. Uh, I noticed uh, on your blog this week you're talking about a crucial week for the markets. Could you give her listeners some idea of what you think is so crucial about this week? Sure. Um, this week is, uh, I believe, in my opinion, is very crucial for market direction in general. Um, I mean, for stocks, futures, and the currencies as well. Um, um, the week has started with markets showing signs of uh, economic recovery, uh, and um, we see that now that uh, the stocks are keep rising and the computers came back in the markets. Um, however, what makes this week so crucial and important is the fact that we have very good economic indicators coming out of U.S., uh, 
Uh, first of all, we have um, the uh, non-farm payroll numbers, which are this Friday, which will show again the unemployment rate and also all the jobs that are taken off uh, for, the, for the last month. And that is very important uh, because um, obviously with the whole economic crisis now, traders tend to look at the economic numbers more thoroughly, and especially the payroll numbers, uh, because don't forget, Jay, that last uh, month it was all very bad and it was close to minus 700,000 in the last mm-hmm. month. So therefore, because we have so many job losses, it's time to see if uh, this Friday we see a slight economic recovery in the numbers. Uh, also, don't forget that this Thursday we have the ECB and the Bank of England monetary decisions. Uh, so together with the payroll data, this makes it a very important week for the direction of the dollar, the euro, and the pound as well. Well, Lena, are you talking about a slight recovery or just less of a decline in terms of the job numbers? I'm talking uh, probably, Jay, about uh, uh, less of a, uh, a, a dismal number. Yeah. However, um, we, we are all traders saying that, oh, it's going to be probably a better number this month, uh, and maybe this is going to be the sign that the recession is easing. I mean, I would say that if you don't get minus 700,000 jobs and you get minus 600, I mean, does that make it a, you know, a, a very good number? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. It's still very bad. However, it's not going to uh, almost a million jobs lost. Yeah, so basically, so then, as long so as we see um, around minus 500,000 to minus 600,000, then the, the market will take it as a slightly better number. However, in the big picture, it's not really. It's still a very bad number. Well, nothing goes in a straight line. So if we see an improvement, we'll take it. We're happy for it, but I, I'm not convinced. I don't know. So we're seeing... I believe if you're, if I'm understanding your blog and your views here is that we're seeing less of this risk aversion trade that you're talking about where people are fearful. They run to the dollar out of stocks. We're seeing a reversal of that now. We're seeing more optimism. We're seeing a rise in commodity prices. We're seeing a rise in, uh, in stock prices here over the last few sessions. So do you think it's time to party? Do you think the, uh, we don't have to worry anymore and we can just start, start enjoying ourselves again? Um, I wish I could say that uh, with certainty, Jay. I really do. However, I mean, obviously, you talked about the better um, uh, the economic recovery and the fact that the risk aversion is not here anymore for for today, anyway, and yesterday. Um, I believe because we had uh, slightly better numbers in the pending home sales yesterday, which uh, they gave us a really good number, and I hope that maybe the housing sector will start to stabilize, mm-hmm. and therefore that's why traders um, are turning into uh, to selling the dollar once again. Um, However, I don't really think that we can party just yet because we need, as I spoke to you, I believe, last time, we need to see economic numbers, better economic numbers, more than one, two, or three weeks. If if from now on until, let's say, um, June, July, or August, which are, you know, the summer months, if we keep seeing every week better economic numbers, then I believe that there is a chance that the recession, as Mr. Bernanke said today, let's not forget of course, because he did say today in his speech that the recovery is going to start and the recession might be start to ease at, uh, towards the end of 2009. So if we get all this together and we see better economic numbers every week from now on, then there is hope that things will start to stabilize because don't forget one thing. We are at low numbers. We are at low levels. So how low can it go? From now on, it, will, it must start to stabilize, right? So therefore, we need to see this on a consecutive uh, weeks. Well, Lena, I hope you're right. I don't think Ian Gordon would necessarily agree with that. I think he sees much more <laughs> dismal downside uh, to this economy. Uh, 
you know, let's hope you're right. And uh, in any event, I hope that you take a little bit of a break, uh, perhaps this weekend. And I'm, I'm pretty sure you're going to do some partying over the weekend, no? Um, well, yes, you know, um, during the week, uh, the parting is out of the question. However, yeah. in the weekend, you know, I might actually do that. I will pencil that in and, you know, just I'll don't be- forget to party a bit. I'll, I'll bet you will, Lena. <laughs> We've got to go now. Um, I'll look forward to hearing from you next week, and uh, all the best. Thank you, Jay. <laughs> okay, so um, just to some closing remarks here before we sign off this week. Uh, in my view, I think that we have not seen the bottom. I'm with Ian Gordon on that. Certainly the economic uh, or the the stock market doesn't seem to be anywhere near the bottom. I've been through these things. I've lived a little longer than Lena, probably twice or three times her age. So I've been through the last downturn, the 1980-82 bear market. I can tell you, excuse me, what it was like. It was a very, very scary time. There was despondency in the market. Nobody wanted to buy stocks. If you suggested they buy stocks, they'd kick you in the shins or spit in your face. That we are not seeing that now, folks. This is people are expecting a turnaround in the equity market. They think times are going to be good again. You can just see it. We need weeks and weeks of down market despondency, capitulation, if you will. We're not anywhere near that point. Plus, we don't see values in stocks that are anything like what resembles true secular bear market bottoms. That's why I believe Roger Wiegand is uh, is suggesting we're on an upside. I mean, you always have to be careful because. It depends on what time horizon you're looking at. I believe Roger is with Dr. McHugh in believing that we are going to be heading down uh, for one more major leg down in the secular bear market. I certainly believe that's the case at this point in time, which is one of the reasons that we have in our model portfolio the Prudent Bear Fund as an insurance policy. It Yes, it deprives you of some upside, like right now the Prudent Bear Fund is down a couple of percentage points and our uranium stocks are up 100%. But uh, nonetheless, when the markets turn around and we hit the real dire downturn, then you're going to be glad you have the prudent bear fund. I also think gold stocks are going to perform very, very well in the next downturn. Why? Because gold shares are now exhibiting very, very strong profits. Now, next week, we have an excellent guest coming up. She's Catherine Austin Fitz. She's the former U.S. Assistant Secretary of Housing. Ms. Fitz is a courageous citizen who is not afraid to speak out against the unconscionable policies of our government and to explain the harm that they're causing to everybody. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm sure Catherine will also have some good advice about how you can best protect yourself against the carnage that is being created in Washington. You can't afford to miss, I think, Catherine's insights next week. So until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.